This episode brings us Paul Prang, a retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel, who in uh, our squadron at the, the academy turned out to be one of the highest rated uh, cadets. He was cool, unflappable, and he contributed to one of our antics in a very memorable way. Uh, you guys will enjoy this. <laughs> All right, so I <clears throat> wanted to uh, uh, let you have your turn at the uh, at the uh, message up, up front where we uh, talk to grads and uh, incoming class cadets and current cadets as to what you thought of the academy. I, I thought at initially the the four years were not very uh, much fun. I, I never really liked it. And there was times I actually thought about leaving. But the uh, the bottom line was is I, the academics were outstanding, except it was sort of like drinking through a fire hose. It was coming at you so quick. What was your and major? My major was human factors engineering with a okay. lot of arrow in it. And then uh, the other thing that I really liked was the summer programs. The, uh, you know, besides the, the obvious of, you know, your first year BCT and then the uh, theory, those weren't a whole lot of fun, but I thought third lieutenant, I thought airborne, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to do summer research at Edwards for one, the summer between my second class and first class years, those summer programs were just thoroughly outstanding. So what so was that, that, what was that research at Edwards? How did you pull that off? It was just working on uh, heads up display units at uh, Edwards. And uh, I actually had, had qualified to go to that Navy SEAL program for three weeks there to go do the SEAL thing down in California. But yeah. when the summer when the summer research thing came up, I couldn't turn that down, so I did that. So you, you passed the PFT enough to get in that top 50 or whatever to go to UD? Yeah. Yeah, I could go to the uh, Navy SEAL program, you know, sort of that dumbed-down program that I think they had it down there in uh, San Diego. Down in Coronado, yep. Yeah. But, um, Interesting. So I kind of turned that down in order to go to the uh, summer research, which ended up being really good because I got a lot of T-38 flights while I was there at the same time. Well, it's a heck, of a, lot, heck of a lot more fun being at Edwards than – <laughs> in a pool where you're trying to drown. <laughs> yeah. But I, in retrospect, I mean, the years that I was there, you know, you got to put it into context too. Is you know, I was a, a surfer dude and a basketball player in high school. And I had a couple of basketball scholarships to a few schools. And, you know, every time I came home for leave, like at Christmas or something, I'd be talking to the guys who had been on my team because our team did really good in high school. So almost everybody got a scholarship to some school or somewhere and they're just having the time of their life. You know, they're just, they're at UC Irvine, Arizona state, places like that. And they're just talking about, wow, this is just so great. I'm just so glad I'm just having the greatest time of my life. You know, and now I'm coming back to my dual year, basically. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, kind of a, little bit of morale draw at that time. I saw, but, I sorry if I detoured you, but you were going to tell us uh, the ultimate uh, message of the Academy for you. I think the ultimate message is I think it is a great thing. Uh, I would highly encourage it. Uh, I'm probably one of the best recruiters for the Air Force, quite honestly, and for the Air Force Academy. When everybody asks me about it, I think it's a smart way to go. And I'm not quite sure how the Space Force is is fitting in with it right now. But I would assume it's sort of like what you did is that you could take a commission in the space force as opposed to the air force once you've gone through the academy. And I would think that that has just got unlimited possibilities for careers and stuff. Yeah. But if, if you want to be a pilot, if you know, if you have pilot qualifications, you want to be involved in the technology, you just can't beat the air force. I'm a, I'm a very good uh, recruiter for the air force. And I think the academy gives you a pretty good step up under that career when you go through it. So I think it's a it's a tough four years. It's changed a lot from when we were there, but I still think it's probably a tough four years. But I think it opens just huge numbers of doors for you. Now, what was your first uh, uh, gl glimpse or glimmer of how weird the Pink Panther Squadron was going to be? 
<laughs> well, that was probably the best thing. I mean, the 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 free decor was great. Uh, you know, the 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 best. You know, the best. Some of the funniest things that happened there were like, you know, when I was with Dave Connors as a roommate, and we went out one night when every when the squadron when all the Pink Panthers decided to go to the air gardens and go swimming. And we said, now we're not going to go. We need to study, which for Dave Connors was kind of a contradiction in terms. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we he's one of the most brilliant people I ever met. I mean, the whole semester, he got like C's in his classes. He was bio bioengineering. He got a C's in all his classes. But he was going, I just don't know why I can't get better grades. I said, well, Dave, I went over and pulled out the books out of his shelf and opened them. They all cracked like they were brand new books at the end of the semester. So he just did it just off of sitting in class. And the rest of the time he did leather work and played guitar. So I'm saying <laughs> for you to get C's and, and B's and stuff all the way through the academy without ever studying, it was pretty impressive to me. But um, we went out, everybody, I think you may have been one of the ones that went out there where you were going out to swim in the air gardens at night in the middle of winter time. So we went and put our uh, athletic jackets on backwards and put our parade cats on and put our white gloves on and got flashlights. And we acted like the security police and went out there and started flashing the light at everybody and say, you there, stop. And you guys all ran up behind the chapel. And then we walked around on the chapel wall and made you sit out there in the cold when we're walking around like the security place. I always remember that. That's one of the funniest yeah, that, that is a, That is an all-time outstanding deal. Uh, Kai Webb and I spent four or five hours on that hill up above the visitor center in our underpants <laughs> with, a <laughs> with, a, with a bathrobe. Because I think, I don't know if we went swimming in the air grunge. I think by that time they had filled it in. But uh, I know we went to go moon command post, which was the, the big stunt that night. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, well, so there was a lot of stuff going on that was fun. And then the, uh, you know, the the academics, I, I think I would love years later to have gone back through the academy, but just taking the academics, you know, because the, you, you can't beat being in small classes like that way with, you know, you talk to all your civilian friends and they're in classes of like 100 people and they're being taught by teacher aides and stuff like that. And here you are in a class of about 10 or 12 or something with a dedicated instructor and you're just going to beat the academics. So, so that, you mentioned uh, basketball scholarships. Where, where were you uh, possibly going to go? I had a scholarship offer at kind of funny places. I had one to Arizona State University, one to UC Irvine, and one to Oregon State, and then the other one was the Citadel. So those were the four scholarships I had. I actually had I actually had dinner once with uh, a brand new coach at Indiana University by the name <laughs> of Bobby Knight, but they oh, never boy. offered me a scholarship. Did you um, play for Air Force? Yeah, I played my third and I played my uh, dual year and my third class year, but it was it was kind of a little disappointing because the team was actually worse than my high school team was. You know, our, my high school team was big to start with. We had uh, we had won Southern California, and uh, you know, I was the point guard at six foot one, and we had six foot eight, six foot seven, six foot six, and a six foot three for our starting guys and. We were pretty much undefeated except for the final game. We lost in the we lost in the quarterfinals one year, but the um, it was a slow slow down type of uh, stall game. It was before the days of the the clock, and uh, you know Hank Egan was a coach, and he just had this philosophy of you know just trying to stall, which to me was was just trying to keep ourselves from keeping the score kind of respectable which when we played at home, we should have really ran really good, I think, because we were, you know, being up to that altitude, there wasn't a lot of schools that would have been able to breathe as well. So <laughs> I, I just found it a little bit disappointing. So after my second year, I decided not to play anymore. And and you, uh, so you turned down, I'm, 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 this is the big question for me is, you turned down a couple of pack. Pac-12 now, but back then Pac-8 or, or independent schools to go to uh, the academy. What was the rationale there? Well, it's kind of a long story. I mean, I 
my, you know, I did, we, my family was, was okay. It didn't have, we didn't have a lot of money, but we weren't hurting. But, uh, you know, I had one flight in a Cessna. I probably was a Cessna 172 when I was about 10 years old. And I got hooked on flying right there. So I pretty much decided I want to be a pilot. And I can kind of even remember like a seventh grade uh, writing assignment for an English class. You had to request this catalog from a school. And uh, that was part of your writing assignment. And I, I remember doing that and trying to get a catalog from the Air Force Academy, which they sent to me. And so I was kind of hooked pretty early. Was it pretty easy getting in for you? Um, you know, it, it seemed to be, quite honestly. I mean, I I didn't do it off of – they didn't even know me as far as basketball was concerned until I actually had already been accepted. And uh, so I actually went through my congressman, who was Del Clausen at that time down in Southern California, and went for the nomination, did a bunch of tests and stuff like that, and got the, got the nomination. So – they were kind of surprised that I was, you know, they actually came out on one of my games to see me play. And they said, you know, have you, have you thought about going to the Air Force camp? I said, well, I've already been accepted. We <laughs> <laughs> already got a nomination. So wow. it was kind of like an afterthought, really. Was uh, Popovich on the staff then? No, he wasn't at that point. Um uh, Reggie Minton was the assistant coach, and Hank Egan was the primary coach. I remember Hank Egan taught PE basketball PE for uh, in the, as an upperclassman, and I just <laughs> I just remember he was a pretty pretty nice, easygoing guy when it came to PE classes at Air Force. Yeah, the budding uh, Buttinger was the uh, freshman coach, and he was a really nice guy. I liked him. I actually liked. Uh, Reggie Menton, they were they were good coaches. I thought both of them. So, where where, where did you end up uh, as a dually? What squadron was that? I was in the eleventh squadron. I couldn't find you. I I didn't see you in the yearbook. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, eleventh uh, squadron was. Uh, in you know that there's standard dually year in the old dorms before we went over to Sajin Hall. So so once they shaved your head and. And fired the cannon. Did you rethink uh, being a, <laughs> a basketball player at Arizona State? No, that the actual. I actually thought the uh, the the summer, the BCT summer, yeah. and the uh, fourth class year was pretty much what I had expected. I was actually a little bit more uh, demoralized once I started the third class year, not because of the squadron, but just you know the the regimentation was. I don't know. It was just sort of strange to me that it never kind of really loosened up like I thought it would. <laughs> the grind, the grind. Yeah. You're faced with the uh, three more years of this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. You, you stop beating your head against the wall. You feel good for a little bit, but oh, there's still a big wall there. <laughs> right. And I, and again, the summer programs, you know, the, you know, Siri was Siri that we had, but then I went to Airborne. I think you and I were in the same Airborne. Yeah, uh, probably in the same Siri too. We yeah. were right from the... Yeah, the buses out to Georgia. That was fun. Yeah. So I mean, that all that all just sort of re reignited me at that point. And then, you know, I really liked the classes that they had for like, you know, Airman Ford, uh, uh free fall parachute jumping. I can't remember. I think it was AM four ninety or something. Yeah. And then and then the uh you know, the basically the beginning pilot training when you did those T forty ones. Yeah. Um, so that stuff was just, and then I also took a, uh, uh, AM 470, I think was the name of it was, uh, was a navigators class. It sort of validated the first couple of weeks if you went to nav school. Um, and that was, those were all great classes. So I really liked that. I, I remember doing a nav, that nav 470 class. And we, the, the trip one day was to Beale air force base. And we got a tour of the, SR-71 hangars and everything. That was really cool. And on the way back, we were supposed to fly north to uh, the border and then head east on the way back to Colorado. And we're all in the back of the plane navigating, and we're going north and north and north. And and, and we're all thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to flunk NAV-470 because I've navigated deep in the uh, northern British Columbia. And it turned out that the guys had uh, 
not they weren't paying attention. They actually flew, busted the airspace, and got a call. <laughs> got a call and we all had to turn. So we all, none of us got in trouble. We all got A's for that flight because the, the guys flying the plane had blown through the airspace. It was pretty funny. Well, that's kind of one of my funny stories too. Is remember the you know I think there was six flights if I remember correctly, and one of them was Celestial Nav. Yeah, you, you remember that? Yeah. So I you know I I did all the stuff where you plot your points, you know, line of positions and stuff, made your maps and everything, but I was totally lost. I had no idea where I was at. And uh, I come back and, you know, you turn in and you got to go in the next day to get your debrief from the, it was a major that was your instructor in my particular, so I can't remember his name. And he, he rolls my, my chart out with all my lines of position and he's made corrections on it where it was wrong. And it looked like he had cut his wrist on it. You know, there was red <laughs> all over, all over this thing. And, and he's going, well, you missed this one by this. And you missed this by this. And, and I think, boy, this is not going very well at all. And he said, but overall, Cadet Prang, a very good job. And I just started, and I just start laughing. And he says, what's so funny? And I said, sir, I was completely lost. I had no idea where I was at. <laughs> and he goes, well, yours was a lot better than most of them. <laughs> yeah, it's probably it's probably one where I had blood everywhere, and they didn't they didn't say it was a good job. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So I remember I always remember that. That would always brings tears to my eyes too, because I was totally lost on that celestial nav thing. Now you mentioned Dave Connors. Did you have any other of our wacky roommates? Well, I had Roger contact. Matter of fact, Roger's going to maybe come out and visit me next week. Okay. So I remember going up to the Falcon Muse with him and working out the Falcons every once in a while. That was pretty interesting. And yeah, I want to uh, get him on one of these too pretty soon. Yeah, John Dedick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is an he is an interesting character. I, I always thought he's probably one of the best natural athletes I've ever seen. He was a phenomenal athlete. And uh, let's see who else. Well, I was going to say, he's a great athlete if you're doing tough guy sports. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Steve Odiarn, before he left the squadron, I was roommate with him once. He was a little bit more normal. <laughs> he, and I, <laughs> he and I were duelists together. In the, in the oh, were you? Yeah. Yeah. So I had I had three years with Steve, so I feel feel like I didn't totally get gypped out of the Oh, yeah, he's, he's a good guy. I liked him. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, so your first year, I do remember you were one of the squadron commanders. Yeah, that was kind of a big surprise to me, quite honestly. Actually, when I was a first sergeant, our second class year was a surprise to me. Because before that, my first two years, you know, my, my military order merit was just kind of mediocre. And then... Um, I think what happened was uh, one summer when I was, you know, the cadre for BCT there, um, the, um, I, I had my day off. I wasn't supposed to be working, and I went down to go play basketball, and I went down the stairwell, and our duallys that we were in charge of are all lined up waiting there, but there's nobody with them to go out to do their PFT, their PT, you know, yeah. and all the other dually squadrons are out on the athletic fields already doing their thing. So, you know, I asked them, what do you guys, where's your, where are you going? And somebody screwed up and didn't show up to take them out to their PT. So I took them down there and I did the run with them and stuff like that and brought them back. And then the AOC calls me in because we were, you know, like 15 minutes late being out to the PT and the AOC calls me in and says, you know, what, why were you so late? And I said, I don't know, sir. I just went down the hallway and it was my day off and there was somebody out there. The, all the duallys were out there and he said, and you weren't supposed to be in charge of them. And I said, no. And they said, okay, you're dismissed. And so I don't know who it was or whatever, but after that, my ratings always went up. So I think that kind of just, once you got a good name or something, I think it just opened the doors for you. Yeah, that's situational awareness. I think that that's a good uh, example of that. Just... Yeah, so I just never was really, you know, that enthusiastic about being in high rank or anything. It was never my entire career in the Air Force had one goal in mind, and that was to stay flying. Yeah. 
so even when I retired as a squadron commander, you know, I, I was basically offered to be a, a group or an ops group commander, but I kind of turned that down to retire because I knew I wouldn't be getting to fly much more after that. So talking about that a little bit, you graduated and went down to Laughlin, right? Yeah, I went to Del Rio. And let's see, Georgie was there. Dave Connors was there. Steve Fry was there. There's quite a few of us. I can't remember who else. Oh, that must have been a riot. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Oh, uh, um, uh, Greg Lewis was there too. So, yeah, we that was a good, good uh, pilot training class. Did you get the plane you wanted? Well, I actually kind of, sort of. I, I mean, uh, I remember that uh, Georgie and uh, Connors and me and I think Steve Fry, I think they were all FAR. They, you know, they at that time they rated you for fighter attack reconnaissance if you thought you want to kill yourself in a single seat airplane. Okay. And uh, Georgie and Dave, and me were all asked if we wanted to be FAPES. And I had I had flown with uh, with uh, I got to be friends with one of the T thirty eight. IPs that I've been flying with there. And I told him, I do not want to be a fape. I want to go to fighters. I want fighters. I want fighters. I want fighters. <laughs> and Georgie and Dave didn't offer as much resistance. So they got chosen as fapes and I got an F4. What's now, a fape? What's a fape? Uh, uh, first assignment IP. So okay. basically a plowback. Either I think both Georgie and Dave are T thirty eight IPs. I went. Back I, I just want to make sure everybody listening knows what we're talking about. We're throwing yeah. acronyms around. And at that time, about every other class was getting an F fifteen, which is what I wanted. Yeah. But they were brand new at that time. But my class, there was no F 15s available, so I got an F four. What? I mean, you had a guy in the backseat. Other than that, that was fine, right? Yeah. No, it was a great assignment. I mean, I went to. Uh, to Tampa, Florida, to McDill for RTU, so that was good. And then uh, I got about my second choice of where I wanted to go from there. I really wanted to go overseas to either Schusterberg in the Netherlands or to Bitburg in Germany, but my third choice was Alaska, and that's where I ended up going was to Alaska. So how? So, what, I got to ask you, how did you like Anchorage? Loved it. Um, there was two squadrons of F-4s there at the time. The F-4 was a dual-hatted type of uh, aircraft, so it did air-to-ground and it did air-to-air, but they actually made the squadrons sort of specialized. So like the 43rd Fighter Squadron that I was in up there, that did nothing but air-to-air. And then the uh, 18th Squadron that was up there at that time did nothing but air-to-ground. So I actually got into the air-to-air squadron by calling up there, and I said, hey, you know, can I get into 43rd? Because my one of my uh, IPs at uh, at the you, you know in the Navy, the RAG unit, but in the, in the Air Force, the RTU replacement training unit, yeah, down at McDill. I was talking to him. And he said, "Yeah." He said, "You should call up to the wing and tell them you'd like to go in that squadron." Because sometimes they just randomly put you in one of the squadrons. So I called up and I said, "Hey, you know, there's a couple of us. There was two of my class who were coming up there, and the other guys didn't care." Yeah. And uh, I said, you know, can I get into 43rd? And the, the first sergeant of the uh, wing up there, he went and said, yep, you're in the 43rd, no problem. So that was actually a career-changing event there because that kind of set the set the pace for my whole career. Yeah, as long as you tell them what you want to do, I mean, they can always hose you over and make you do what they need. But uh, if, if they know you have a preference, then sure. Yeah. It's better than keeping quiet and getting stuck with something. <laughs> yeah. No, the flying was great. I loved Alaska. The, um, you know, my wife, I got married right after I got out of the academy. My wife was a dental hygienist. So up in Alaska, she was in huge demand. Matter of fact, she was in demand in Del Rio. She had pretty wow. good jobs in Del Rio because there weren't any, very many dental hygienists. There's like three or four dentists downtown, and they all wanted to hire her. And so when we got up to Alaska, she was making a lot more money than I was as a second lieutenant. <laughs> so we we splurged on uh, on an airplane. So I bought a little Satabria. Wow. And uh, so flying fighters in the daytime and in the evenings because it could, never got dark in the wintertime or in the summertime there. Then I'd go fishing with my airplane, go land on sandbars and beaches and stuff and go. Be, being the bush pilot. <laughs> yeah. So that was great. So loved it up there. Had a great time. 
Yeah, I did the second through fourth grade up there as a kid. Uh huh. I really liked it. Yeah, we we were. End of my fourth grade year um, was March of 1964. Oh, <laughs> so we got to ride the ride. That was quite a a weekend. Yeah, the big earthquake. Yep, that, that's that whole area there by Government Hill just dropped right down there. And yeah, we lived on Cherry Cherry Hill. I think it was called Cherry. Hill. Yeah, Cherry Hill. I lived in <laughs> I lived in those door in those. Uh, that's kind of a long story too that uh i lived in those uh barracks on base housing there yeah and um at the time they weren't letting enlisted this was 1978 1981 time frame at the time they were not letting enlisted folks bring their families or their wives up because they didn't have any housing for them Oh, wow. And, and the, you know, the housing market was crazy. The, the interest rates were like 10, 11% for a house yeah. or something like that. And uh, we went on base because we weren't sure. And, and we're on base and we said, you know, we should have bought a house because my wife was making good money and everything. So we should have bought a house because they had a really good hole and cola, you know, housing allowance and cost of living allowances, which was tax-free money. And the, um, it was just like, We'd been in housing for about six, seven months, and they send us a letter and they said, hey, we want to convert all the, all the housing on Cherry Hill to enlisted housing because we're having such a hard time getting housing for enlisted, and we'll move you off base at government expense. Wow. So, so we went out, started looking for houses, and we bought this nice little brand new house and made a killing on it when we left there. And it was just, you know, it was just very good That's experience. Right. Yeah. Did you do a lot of uh, ice skating on the lakes in the winter? <laughs> Uh, no, but you know, Roger, Roger contact was up there Oh, and he was up there with the C one thirties and he had bought a little Luscombe on skis. So we went flying in his Luscombe when we were up there and doing skis. And then mine, my airplane had the big like bush tires on it. And then I did get a float rating cause the aero club had Satabrias on floats. So I got a float rating when I was up there too. So very good. I, I I always tell people that I the reason I like Seattle so much is it reminds me of Alaska without the isolation. Yeah, it's it doesn't have the severe winters. It does have the long summers, but the uh, yeah the uh, the whole area just reminds me of uh, our Anchorage times. Mm-hmm. Except it's big city now. <laughs> it wasn't well, a big I city went, when I, I went here. I keep pinging from extremes in my career. So like, you know, I went from Alaska to Las Vegas. Yeah. So yeah. No, a few yeah. lights down there, right? Yeah. So they, uh, you know, go from really cold basically to really warm. And then so you was, were with the aggressors down there at Red Flag? Yeah. Uh, 64th Aggressor Squadron, which was, uh, that was flying F5s. And that was, that was my favorite assignment as far as the job was concerned. I liked Alaska as far as the location the most in my career, but the uh, job with the aggressors was just outstanding. And um, what, uh, what pray tell got you from a tactical fighter aircraft up to Minot? Well, that that's kind of related story because the aggressors were, uh, rec- you, you were, um, you were kind of recruited. It wasn't an assignment you could get. They came when an aggressor squadron came and flew with you. They were always looking for new because everybody had to be instructors and they wanted fairly good pilots. So when they came up and flew with us up in Alaska, one of them came up and asked me if I wanted to be an aggressor. And I said, yeah, I'd like to do that because my, I had actually been selected for fighter weapons school in the F4, but the trouble with the F4 at the time was it was going out of service and you're, you were going to pretty much lock yourself into a uh, weasel operation. They were no longer going to be doing air to air. So you're going to be doing, you know, SAM suppression type missions right. and stuff right. like that. So um, the aggressor option was, was a better choice for me. So I went there instead of going to fighter weapons school. And um, that was another career saving move. I think at that point, because uh I don't know how the aggressors were different than what your adversaries were in the Navy. Uh, we, we, we operated where you were two weeks on the road, two weeks back home, two weeks on the road. So the three years I was there, half the time I was not there. 
So you would uh, typically uh, an F-15 or an F-16 squadron would host you and then you would fly against them for two weeks and then you'd give them the type of uh, adversaries they wanted. Like if they were a bunch of new guys they were flying, you'd do a lot of 2v2s. If it was a uh, uh, flight lead upgrades or something, then you would do like 4v2s, 4f5s versus 2f15s. And then we do a lot of 6v4s or stuff like that. So the, the scenarios got bigger based upon what the unit that was hosting you wanted for their level of difficulty and what they were doing. And then so while you're there, you would usually fly twice a day. So you'd go to like Eglin or you go to Langley or you'd go to Hill or wherever you went where the F-15s and F-16 squadrons were. You'd fly for twice a day. You had no additional duties. It was nothing but flying. And you, um, <clears throat> one day you had to teach your class. You had a specialty. So my class was a MiG-29 instructor. So I taught about a four-hour class on MiG-29s. So mm -hmm. I would teach MiG-29 one day to the wing there, not necessarily the squadron that was hosting you, but you uh, wing uh, academics. And then um, I also, the last year or the last two years I was there, I was also on what they call the European Tactics Analysis Team, which you would go over to uh, Germany to Tempelhof and meet with all the Brits, the Germans, the French, all the intelligence agencies, and we'd look at what the East Germans and the Russians were doing with their aircraft in Germany there, and then you would write reports to all, for all the squadrons and say, this is what we think the MiG-23s do for their tactics, this is what we think the MiG-29s do for their tactics and stuff. And so we did that, and I would go to Germany about three times a year for about a week to do that. So you're like a traveling Top Gun is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly is what it is. Okay. And then when you're at home, the two weeks you're at home, you usually flew every day and it was usually red flag. Yeah. So you flew nothing but red flag at home or fighter weapons school support for the F-15 squadrons. And then you would uh, go on road shows for the rest of the time. Now, I need to ask a somewhat sensitive question, but did you ever have a close call? and Or, or do you have a memorable close call that you'd like to share? I think as far as, you know, close mid-airs or something, those happen fairly regularly. I won't say regularly, a couple times a year. But uh, probably the the one that actually got my job with United Airlines, because they asked me that question, is what was your worst emergency? And my worst emergency was I was doing an FCIF, which is a functional check flight, FCF, functional check flight for an F-5. So one that had come out of maintenance and you did and rent, you flew a profile with it. And so they had a couple of FCF pilots. I happened to be that my last year that I was there. And I went up to do a functional check flight, and I'm doing the mock run at 45,000 feet, and I get a fire in the cockpit, so electrical fire. So it's it's smoking pretty bad and wow. big flames coming out of the circuit board panel out to the side there. And before that, this goes back to pilot training. So there's one ride I busted in pilot training, and that was my – nav ride in the f in the t-38 or my instrument check i'm sorry my instrument check in the t-38 and how i busted it was is you, the airplane had their own pubs in them okay and then you would pull and i went to san angelo texas to fly an ils and i pulled the pub out and the page for san angelo texas had been torn out of the, per, you know, oh, the so i had to pass up to the stand of al pilot in the back seat that hey i don't have the page you know, the page for this ils and so that's an automatic bus for not checking your pubs so i had a bus and i had to redo that check ride and uh so what i did after that is my wife made me a little like sort of like a little purse type thing a little um, you know, I can't think of the word. It's a little... Uh, Just a little bag, flight bag? Kind yeah, of? a little flight bag type thing. And I got my own pubs and I always put them in there. And then I always, always Velcro that over yeah. to the side so that I didn't have to worry about who would have flown in the airplane before me. I always had my pubs and I knew they were up to date. And um, so when that fire happened, I took my pub bag and I beat out the fire with it. There you go. And uh, <laughs> the when I did my United Airlines interview, I'm pretty sure that's what got me the job. Because when I was getting interviewed, they usually did an interview with a captain and then a personnel person. And there was 
you know, tons of people interviewing for jobs. It, this was 1997. And uh, they asked me that, you know, what, 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 what was your worst emergency? And I, well, first off, it was a perfect thing. They said, what, what did you ever bust a check? Right. And they knew cause they had all your records. Sure, sure. And I said, oh, yeah, I, you know, I busted and I told them what I did. And they said, well, what was your worst emer- emergency? And that was the very next question. And I said, well, that pubs bag that my wife made me that I learned about, I beat the fire out with that. And up to that point, you know, they're kind of looking at their fingernails and very stoic. And they all started laughing yeah. at that point because it was like being the perfect straight man for a joke. And I said, okay, now this is going okay for the interview. So how, how long did you fly for United? Uh, eight years. And then, but th- is that when the National Guard kind of took over? Um, no, what happened was, is I did... Uh, you know, I did uh, that F five assignment at uh, Las Vegas at Nellis, and then I, I they was looking for an F fifteen assignment, and my I had actually gotten a. There was two assignments that appealed to me. One was an F fifteen or an F sixteen assignment, and that looked like what I was going to get. And then um, the other assignment was a exchange tour at Bagotville with F 18s with the with the Canadians, and I was kind of interested in that. But I really wanted to get into the F-15. I really liked the airplane, having fought against it for, for so often. And I got a phone call from, and I pretty much made that, you know, yeah, I'll take an F-15 anywhere, any place. Uh, okay. And um, I got a phone call from a guy that was going up to Minot, North Dakota, Dick Coe, who was going to be the commander. And he said, yeah, hey, I'm going to convert this F-106 fighter interceptor squadron into a tactical fighter squadron because they're converting from F-106s to F-15s. Are you interested? And I said, yeah, where is it? He says, Minot, North Dakota. And I said, well, I'll go. I said, that's how I got to Minot was to make the conversion for, for F-15s there. And your family goes Vegas to Minot? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. We ping pong back and forth between extremes. Yeah. So, And then I did that for about three years. And it was going to be really hard to stay in the cockpit at that point. Now you're looking at staff tours and everything. Yeah. And so I um, found out that there was this uh, Air National Guard unit at Kingsley Field, Klamath Falls. And they were flying F-4s at the time, but they were going to go to F-16s in about six months. And so I I went and interviewed for a job there. And uh, the thing I liked about Klamath Falls with the – 114th fighter squadron there was that the uh they're what they call active guard reserve agr are you familiar with that a little bit yeah i I know we used to do uh missions with those guys yeah that what's nice about it is that you it's it's just the same as being on active duty you everything counts towards your military retirement you're getting the same type of pay everything it's not like being a guardsman where you you know you fly on weekends or something it was a full-time job yeah so uh, I got the job there and flew F-4s again for about six months, and then we converted to F-16s. And so I flew F-16s for about 10 years with them there. That's great. And yeah, so we, we, I was EA-6Bs out of Whidbey. When, uh, right. And then EA-6As when I left active duty, and we'd, we'd go down and do whatever. <laughs> we, we called it Fred Flintstone Electronics. So the, the F-16s, F-4, they all laughed at us, but we would go down and pretend like we knew what we were doing. <laughs> But you were in the Juniper Heart Moa quite a bit then. Oh, uh, we had we had the th- we could we could turn the lights on, you know, and maybe make uh, some noise on a radio. But that was about it. It was pretty pretty uh, archaic uh, electronics compared to. Well, the- that ended up that ended up being just a great uh, choice career wise too, because that let me stay flying. You know, I I'm I'm really lucky. Just about my whole career, I was flying three, four, five times a week, almost all the time. So and, and then you became like an instructor. Uh, yeah, was, we were we we trained all the uh, F-16 pilots for the Air National Guard at the time, and um, the um, it, it was just like being on active duty, except it was you didn't you didn't move every three years like you'd had to before, which was kind of nice because I had kids at the time too, so that worked out really good. And I like Oregon; I love Oregon, I, and I, so. I was going to say, was, circling back, I thought I remember a lot of pictures of you at the academy doing hiking and camping. I bet you get a lot of that down in Klamath Falls. Yeah, yeah. And so it was just a, you know, it was, and 
so that was really fun. And the F-16 was, I, I, I didn't like it as much as the F-15, the F-15, just a little bit more, a little bit more manly an airplane, I guess I would say, but the, uh, the, um, it was very fun. It was like driving a little sports car. I know and, the F- F-15 has the uh, vertical climb on takeoff. That's pretty cool. Yeah, well, the F-16's performance is actually a little bit better than the old A models, the F-15As and Cs. But the uh, the uh, avionics on it is not anywhere near as, you know, I, when somebody would ask me, which airplane did you like better? Because I flew both airplanes for quite a while. I always said, well, if, if I was if I'm going to go to a war that's day VFR, I'd probably want to fly the F-16. If it's going to be night IFR, crummy weather involved, then I'd want to be in an F-15. There was the avionics were just so much better. I mean, it was just it was just made to, to shoot things down regardless of what the weather. And the performance between the two, I thought the F-16 had a little bit of advantage, but I thought it really came down to pilot difference as far as, you know, a maneuvering fight. Now, you're on active duty during uh, Desert Storm. What did you ever get? They would oh. not let us go. We all volunteered, but they were worried about attrition, which never really happened. So yeah. they didn't want to shut down the pipeline for the uh, pilot production. And then you pretty much, uh, when, did, when did your military flying career end? Right there. I retired there as a squadron commander, the 114 squadron. And that was 97 or so? Yeah, 97. And then was it Lockheed Martin? Is that what I heard? No. What I did then is I went to United. So, okay. okay. And and that was kind of along the same lines of thought was, you know, I'd squadron commander, I was still flying. The best job I ever had in, in the Air Force or the Air National Guard was uh, the operations officer. And the reason for that is you're, you're in charge of all the pilots and you're in charge of the flying, but you're still flying a ton. You're still flying four times a week or so. Once I became the squadron commander, now you start to become a little bit more of a sort of an administrator. You still fly once in a while, you know, maybe a couple times a week, but you're mostly worried about budgets and you're worried about, you know, people getting in trouble like your airmen or something like that. <laughs> so now like you're your kind own of squadron classmates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now you're and then, you know, they they wanted me to stay as the ops group commander there. But then I wouldn't hardly got to fly at all. Then you're just more like a little city mayor at that particular point. So I said, well, it's a good time to go. I'd been in for 22 years. It's a good time to go to the airlines. The airlines were hiring really well, so I got hired by United. So 22 then, years as a military pilot, how many hours? About 5,000. And that's all two-hour missions? Uh, a lot of them were less than that. I mean, yeah. the F-5s were by .9s most of the time. Yeah, so I just... For for people listening in on this thing, uh, that that's a lot of flying. That's a lot of up and down, and actually controlling the airplane and doing things other than just getting it airborne and, and waiting to descend somewhere and land. This is there's a lot of uh, g forces, a lot of uh, actual manipulating manipulation of the aircraft, which is a lot more fun than the the, the United thing. I think Paul will confirm that. Yeah, no, it was it was really good flying. And, you know, I'm, I'm partial, but I always liked air to air the best. So air superiority, you know, basically training to shoot down other airplanes. The joke always was, is there's really only two types of airplanes in the world. There's fighters and there's targets. And uh, so that was just, that was just great. Yeah. We, we got to go down to Top Gun several times in my outfit because they wanted a high value uh, unit, uh, that they could protect so so the aggressors would protect us and then the fleet guys would try and shoot us down or yeah. avoid getting shot down by the uh, aggressors and uh, it was that those those multiple aircraft multiple type aircraft dogfights were some of the most fun i ever had yeah now these are we did an awful lot of that and so it was you know the the next job would have been a little bit a lot less flying so I said, okay, this is a good time to go. I'll fly. And I, I liked United for about the first year or two, but then after that I wasn't I didn't like it. It wasn't it wasn't like flying in the military. I mean, for starters, you're more flying a fighter. Yeah. And uh, then the second thing was is there's a distinct difference between the type of people that you're working with. And I, I won't say that that's kind of a little bit simplistic i mean a lot of the guys i flew with with united were ex-military guys 
And I really never flew with somebody that I thought was technically incompetent. They were all very good pilots. But the, uh, you know, it was obviously, it was just a business. It was no, there wasn't the, you know, I can I always kind of say for people that are thinking of going to the military versus like a civilian career, the, um, you know, I've worked with some of the best people. I've been, some of the best people I've ever known have been my commanders. Some of the best people I've ever known. I've worked some people that worked for me when I was a commander. And some of the, even the, the people that weren't that good, you know, either were a little goofy or something. I really believe that everybody that I worked with in the military, their heart was in the right place. In other yeah. words, they were trying to do the best thing for the Air Force in the country. Now, they may have been misguided and, you know, may have made some errors in judgment on what they were doing and stuff. But I didn't feel that way in the civilian world. They knew that they walked over their people. They, they were just trying to make money. The management was, you know, that you were just a tool. You weren't really part of a, there yeah. was just not the esprit de corps. There just wasn't the. Yeah, they, they, had the, the, they had the union versus the management mindset. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you that, just and go, that's a that's a tough way to, especially yeah. in a safety or a, a, but, a dangerous environment like the flying of an airplane. You just you want everybody yeah, to be on the same well, page. I, I will say good things about United. I mean, I flew for them for eight years, but I will say good things about them in the sense that, uh, you know, they're they were never they never leaned on you to take a bad airplane or something. I think it's, I would like to say it's because there was a goodness of their heart, but I think it was more because they're worried about litigation. Yeah. Liability. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, I, I've turned, turned down an airplane. You know, I did an awful lot of flying to Hawaii and uh, transcons. I was flying Boeing 757, 767s. And um, I, I, you know, when you turn down a flight or where they don't have a spare aircraft, that, that's about a million dollar cost to the company right there when they do that. And there was never any pressure to do, to, to do that. So I have to hand it to them. The safety wise, they're pretty good. So I got, but, one, uh, I got one last uh, quirky question for you, Paul. And that is, do you, do you, did you bring any uh, personal weirdness with you from the Academy? Like do you fold your underwear in squares and all that stuff? <laughs> uh, not really. Yeah, okay. I'm just curious. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I I flew for United for eight years, and I I kind of liked it. The first three years I kind of liked it because it was a complete change of pace. But after that, I really didn't like it that much anymore. And so a job opened up here at Klamath Falls again, place where I'd been at before when I was flying in the military. And it was with Lockheed Martin to be a simulator academic instructor for F-15 training because they'd gone from F-16s to F-15s. So I interviewed for the job and I got the job as a site manager up here for Lockheed Martin, which meant that I had about 25 people working for me. We did all the academics. We did all the simulators. We flew in the simulators, you know, the full dome simulators. So typical authorities in the simulators would be you'd fly as number one and you'd have another instructor as number three, and then you'd have students on your wings as number two and four. And we do everything that they did in the syllabus before they went out and flew. Oh, cool. So, that, so did you get to still get in the cockpit every once in a while? Or? No, you didn't fly at that point. It was just, you know, in the simulators. But um, you say you do fly private now, right? Oh, yeah. I got a little RV4 that I fly now, so. And uh, so that was uh, that it, I said, okay, I think I would rather do that than fly for the <laughs> airlines. And so I came back to here to Klamath Falls again. You get to be home at night and you don't. Yeah. You don't yeah. And I did, did that for, let's see, 10 years or so. Yeah. So that was really good. And um, again, the people that were working with me were all pilots, you know, they're retired and stuff. So it was, a no-brainer as far as you know getting people to do what they needed to do and not what i really liked and I, and I think this is a high point of of anybody that's thinking about going into the military the young people that we we're training because we were training brand new i call them kids but they're like 24 25 year olds coming out of uh, pilot training uh this is their first fighter an f-15 and um <clears throat> they were they're their enthusiasm, 
after was contagious. I mean, it was yeah. just so much fun working with these kids. They were just really good. Well, they're, and, getting, they're getting a Ferrari to go play with, man. <laughs> yeah. And they're really smart and they're really good and they're really motivated. And, you know, as far as the people you're working with, it was just really nice. Well, I know the so, safety record out of Klamath Falls is pretty good, too. Yeah. And so we just, you know, I was just a, just a really, a, so we were doing all the F-15 training for the active duty and the Air National Guard. So that was what our job was doing here. So. Well, cool. So I really enjoyed that for the last 10 years and, and about time to hang it up. Starting to get kind of old. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and now you're just entertaining yourself, right? Yeah, pretty much. Like I said, I usually fly three or four times a week with my little RV4. I do kind of gentleman's aerobatics, nothing really crazy. And basically today I went up this morning and just went out and checked out that fire that's north of us there, the bootleg fire, and stayed out of there. The TFRs, the temporary flight restriction area, stay out of that. There's a pretty big tanker base here for the firefighters. So you can see when they're taking off and going up there to drop on these fires. So then dropping water to get the water right there at the lake. Yeah, they actually use a chemical um oh, that's retardant. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I hope that doesn't get any worse. Yeah, I think I you know, like I said, the 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 winds are such that it's not garbaging up our air so badly anymore, but I think the fire's still growing pretty significantly. Well, I hope I hope you have a great time with Roger next week. That's cool. Yeah. He's going to come down, stay with us for a day or so, and then he's going to go up to Crater Lake, do that type of things. You guys ought to fly up to Payne Field someday. I live about five minutes away. Oh, that'd be fun. Up in Everett. Well, thanks, Paul. Thanks for doing us. Okay. And, uh, yeah, say hi to Roger for me. I'm going to reach out to him probably this weekend and try to set up a similar deal. Yep. And be good. All right, man. It's great talking to you. I, I love I love these stories. Okay. And like I said, I'm a, if anybody's thinking about a career or going to the academy, I would highly recommend it, quite yeah. honestly. I mean, it's going to be a crummy first four years, <laughs> relatively <laughs> speaking. The four but, years will be crummy, basically. <laughs> yeah. The first four years will be kind of crummy. But, man, after that, I just, you know, I never was bored. I always liked what I was doing, and I think the Air Force is a great way to go. And I, and I try to get the message across that the, the stress they put you under is to let you survive any kind of flight situation you may face later. They want you to, they want you to have to juggle multiple priorities and, and do, do whatever keeps you alive and keeps you going. Yeah. Some people did it better than me, but, um, yeah, I, I think that's a lesson we, we carried with us for a long time. All right, man. Okay. Good night. We'll see you. Bye. Bye.